0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hi, you handsome. Come to join the party.
0: Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where our go-to icebreaker is when's the last time you cried? Just a fun, cool party where everyone sobs and everyone twerks. So grab your gas station mini vodkas and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and this week we're talking about the trauma of feeling unsafe. This topic hits a lot of different notes for me, feeling unsafe in my family growing up, feeling unsafe as a woman walking home at night feeling emotionally unsafe because I've been told I shouldn't have big feelings, but I just fucking do. And of course, feeling unsafe as a woman in the country that just overturned Roe v. Wade, the 1973 Supreme court decision that protected a woman's right to have autonomy over her body. So yeah, that's a lot of feeling unsafe and feeling unsafe. Let's just say it is totally fucked. So to help us navigate this conversation, I'm happy to welcome intuitive healer and life coach Jess Taylor to the pod. Hi Jess, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi,
1: Remy. I am
0: really good, actually. Which I know in the
1: in the light of what happened, I, you know, I just already processed it and I'm feeling really like raring to go. We're gonna take this fight to them.
0: That's how I feel about it. Fuck yes. Well, I'm glad that you're all the way there. I'm part way there. I'm still not a hundred percent, uh, out of my depression mode, <laughs> of course, that makes sense, but I am overjoyed to have you back on. You came on a while ago for the episode on the trauma of manifestation culture. And in that epi, we talked about you being a sage, which is absolutely a part of my deep and enduring love for you being a Sag myself, <laughs> um, but we didn't get into whether you feel that being a Sag impacts your work. Do you feel like it influences you being a healer and a coach? I've always felt like being a Sagittarius um, describes me
1: perfectly. <laughs> um, and yes, uh, I, I identify with being a Sag very deeply. And I think it opens up, um, I have such an open mind to everything. And I think being a Sagittarius really helps that. And that I'm always looking for other people's perspectives, always trying to understand, really trying to hold back from judgment, I can get a little lost sometimes in understanding everybody. Totally. Um, Yeah. And it's definitely helpful.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I commend you for that. I have not been able to hold back judgment, especially lately, but that is, you know, you and I work together. If people don't know that we work together and, and that is one of the things that I love about you is how you're like that sag ability to, to pull back and see the big picture you're so good at that. So I and also Sag, like if all you know about astrology is like astrology memes, then you think that all Sag is is a person who has a lack of tact and just wants to party, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, true. Uh which, you know, that is I true. like to party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like to party too. And sometimes I really will just say what the fuck is on my mind. Um, but Sag is super spiritual. You know, we rule the ninth house, the house of expansion and philosophy and spirituality. And and that's one thing that I really see in you is your ability to go super deep. Yes. Yeah.
1: So I totally almost almost without effort. Like I just go there. Yeah. And I'm so bored by conversations that are
0: not deep. Oh my God, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Hence I started this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm stoked to get into it with you in a minute. And especially on this topic, I'm going to jump right into my experience with this. Feel free to interject with thoughts, words of wisdom, Kate Bush lyrics, whatever feels right. Or you can curl your lashes, eat a cupcake, chill out. Okay. At the end, I'll turn some questions over to you. How does that sound? That sounds awesome to me. Okay. Rad. So whew, here we go. I wrote a lot. So I have a lot of notes here. There are so many places I could start, but I'm going to go with this one. When I was 26, I was living in Oakland, California, and I'd been having a bunch of health issues for a couple years and was also super depressed and anxious. Although I don't even think I, I really knew that I was like, Oh, lol, I had suicidal ideation every day for two years, but I'm sure it's fine. Everything's fine. I was seeing an herbalist at the time and that was sort of helping, but also sort of not. So I was still looking for like the magic key to fix me. And again, I say, lol, you know, poor 26 year old Remy. Anyway, around this time, I was flipping through the Oakland paper and I found an ad for a woman who did stomach massage. The ad mentioned that it was an ancient form of Chinese medicine and it could cure all kinds of ailments. So I booked a session with her and I won't go too deep you know, into the session itself, which was super cool, by the way. And if you have money for that kind of thing, I highly recommend. But while I was on her table, and she was very gently massaging my stomach, she paused for a second as if she felt something in there. And she got this look on her face and just asked me, did you feel safe growing up? And I was totally stunned. No one had ever asked me that before. And I honestly had no idea what to say. I was sort of like, I mean, no one tried to kill me when I was young, if that's what you mean, but of course that's not what she meant. And it would take lots of therapy and work for me to realize that you don't have to have a person, you know, holding a gun to your head to feel unsafe. And that actually, no, I did not feel safe when I was growing up. And that as an adult, I still had no idea what the feeling of safety was and had never even been aware of it. Like I had just been living With that feeling of being unsafe as if it was normal to the point that I didn't even know it was there. So, childhood. What the fuck? I agree, Remy.
1: I agree. I I know a lot about your
0: childhood. So yeah. yeah, what the fuck. And, and when you think about, you know, all of the people who were physically and sexually abused as children, much less verbally, emotionally, mentally abused and how they grew up to be adults, you know, just kind of trying to go through the motions with all that trauma living in their cells. It's incredible. We've gotten anywhere at all as a society. Yeah. For me, there were several key factors in my childhood that disrupted the sense that I was safe. So let's start with my dad. My dad was just one big walking disruption to my sense of safety. When it came to his kids, his emotional register ranged from disinterest to terrifying rage. I think I've talked about this instance before on the pod, but I remember when I was eight, I misplaced a $10 bill. And when I told him I didn't know where I'd put it in the hopes that maybe he had seen it around or could help me find it, he raged at me so hard I thought I was going to faint. Like I started to black out and get really dizzy. I mean, I dissociated. In other words, if I had to describe my childhood experience of my dad in one word, it would just be scary or maybe mean, you know, he was mean to his kids from sort of like average meanness of picking on us. Like one time he told me I was dressed like a slut when I was 15 or Um, When I was 11, he told me I threw like a girl, which was shocking because incidentally I was a girl, but yeah, this like average meanness to like viciously mean with over the top rage, though he wasn't physically abusive to his daughters. Anyway, he did physically abuse my brother. So that one is, is sort of obvious and like, I guess, uncomplicated in the way that it's just like, yeah, that was fucking scary. I never felt safe around my dad. I just walked on eggshells all the time. And I became a people pleaser and overachiever in the hopes that he would stop abusing me and start loving me. And by the way, people pleasing and fawning, like a fawning trauma response, as in someone threatens you and you start complimenting them or you make your voice really high pitched, like that is a big time indicator that you didn't feel safe growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. My mom played a big role in my not feeling safe, but it looked a lot different. She also raged and her rage was absolutely terrifying, but unlike my dad, she would sob afterward and tell us how sorry she was. And then five minutes later, she would be totally fine. And it was like, nothing had ever happened. It was just really confusing and unpredictable and super dysregulating to my nervous system, not just because it was such a roller coaster, but also because what sparked it never made sense. Like One time my sister who was like five or six at the time had eaten a grapefruit and left the rind behind a shelf, which I'm, you know, yes, that is annoying, (laughs) but also to a five or six year old, you know, probably made sense in the moment. Like, I'm just going to leave this right here. But my mom raged about it so hard that we were sobbing and sobbing and begging for her not to spank us. Like Literally, please, mom, please like scream crying. Which she was threatening, you know, she was threatening to spank us. And that went on probably for an hour. Like it was just so over the top. And what I later realized was that the part in the process where my mom would apologize after, after all of the raging was where we were expected to say, that's okay, mom, we love you so much, which as little kids, we totally did because we were so relieved that the rage part was over. But as we became teens, we were like, "Uh, yeah, that was actually kind of fucked up, dude, which resulted in her raging even more. And so the messaging we got was like, if you don't approve of everything I do, even when what I do is abusive to you, you will not be safe. Like we had to verbally agree that her abuse was okay, or there would be more abuse. And that's that's the manipulation aspect, right? Either you get on board with me hurting you or I hurt you more. Yeah. My mom had also experienced tremendous trauma at a very young age. And I knew almost every detail of it by the time I was 10. And when I say tremendous, I mean, these were really brutal details. And that had a massive impact on how I viewed the world early on. Mm -hmm. She would tell us about, what happened to her and then cry and say like, why doesn't anybody love me? Well, hearing about physical and sexual abuse as a child, and then being faced with the reality that your mom, who to me at the time when I was, you know, itty bitty when I was like four five, six, she was absolutely my world. Of course. And so walking around feeling like no one loved her. I was like, Oh, okay. Got it. The world is just not fucking safe. Like this is not a safe world that I live in. If my own mother doesn't feel safe in it. Right. My mom also, as I kind of mentioned before, would spank us and then tell us it hurt her more than it hurt us.
1: Oh God, I hate that so much. (laughs) I hate that fucking
0: position so much yeah I think it was maybe a common thing that people said but but I'm like sort of like laugh crying inside as I talk about it it's just so abusive you know someone violates a child's body and then the child is expected to what like apologize you know or feel feel guilty it's like my body's not safe and then I feel guilty on top of it And by the way, if any of this parent stuff is relatable and you haven't already check out the narcissism episodes, I have two of them up and they're really helpful. Okay. Let's shift to adulthood. There are so many ways that the way I was parented affected me as an adult, but in terms of not feeling safe, a big one has been becoming immediately flooded with fear. If someone is mad at me or if I've made a mistake that affects others. Yeah. 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 When I was little, making a mistake or experiencing my parents' anger, which those two were often intertwined, immediately meant that I was not safe. And as children, we don't have any power, right? Your caregivers have all the power. And so a raging parent means that you may not get fed. You may not get love. You may not get uh, acceptance into the family circle, You might get physically hurt. So there's a part of our brains that tells us when we're children, whoa, I'm in serious danger and I could die because mom found a grapefruit rind behind a shelf. Mm -hmm. And if you were physically abused as a child, that fear only becomes worse. And so you bring that into your adulthood. And the thing I've struggled with is that because my parents would rage when it didn't make sense or when I made a minor mistake as an adult, as soon as someone is mad at me, I've had a hard time deciphering whether or not I've even made a mistake. I just go into immediate fear and fawn response. I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, when actually often I haven't done anything wrong, or maybe what I've done, you know, is really small, but it doesn't warrant the response that I'm getting. Right.
1: There's a sense of the sense of confusion where you're like, I can't even figure out whether or not what I did was wrong. Right. Because I am so triggered. Yes. By this other person's blame and blaming me and anger and rage that my brain is just like, okay, how do I fix this? Right. My brain just goes, how do I fix this? How do I make them not angry?
0: Right. It's like a survive. You're like, oh, I've got, I have to survive this. Right. So you, you go immediately to that trauma space yeah, it, for me, it, it triggers that place inside me where as a child messing up and someone being mad at you was deeply, deeply threatening. And so I, I had an experience once where I was collaborating with a partner on a project and we had pulled in an expert to help us. This is to kind of illustrate this point. And while we were all three on a call, my project partner said something that was really offensive Later that day, when we got off the call, I sent a follow-up email to the expert and checked in with them about the comment my partner had made and asked if it had brought anything up and was just like, Hey, if it did my apologies, and I'm sure we can all get back on a call to remedy the situation. And I was like, let me just wait to hear what they say um, before I like move forward with this, because maybe, maybe they weren't offended. I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting. Well, that person, the expert wrote back and was like, yeah, actually that was really problematic and went on to explain you know, explain why, what my partner had said was not. Okay. So when I brought that to my project partner, instead of being like, Oh shit. Yeah. That was totally my bad. Let's, let's talk about how to move forward. He raged at me. He told me I had gone behind his back that I was two-faced. He told me he was going to take the project for me and make it his personal project. It was really severe. And instead of me being like, wow, Hey, guess what? You can't talk to me this way. I'm, I'm not going to take responsibility for this. I'm not duplicitous or malicious. So let me know when you've calmed down and we can go from there. Instead of that, I felt like I had really messed up by not bringing the issue to him first and that that was the real problem in the situation. It took my therapist being like, yeah, I would say that you not bringing it to him was about 10% of the problem in this situation yeah, yeah, maybe you should have done that, but, but it was minor 90% of this issue is what he said on that call. So that's kind of what I mean. When someone is mad at me, I become so flooded with the fear from childhood that I'm not safe, that I can't see what's true. And I can kind of immediately fall into my fawning trauma response, where I try to cater to this person who's raging instead of being able to advocate for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. I was going to say you were there when that happened. And actually we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to look back to that. So, so that's some of the childhood related stuff, but there have been so many other ways that I haven't felt safe. And one of them has been just existing in a woman's body. I remember when I was 28, I had moved to the city, to San Francisco, and I was working at a little restaurant called weird fish, which closed pretty much around midnight every night. Weird fish was in the mission district of San Francisco. And if anyone remembers SF in like 2008, the mission was not a super safe area, especially at night, lots of drugs, but I also lived in the mission. And so I walked to work and walked home after. And if you're thinking, why didn't you just drive Rummy? Well, then you obviously have never lived in SF because you would know the parking is an absolute shit show. And even if you do find parking, which you won't. If your bumper is even slightly in someone's driveway, it's like a million dollar ticket, which I know because I did try driving to work one night and the parking ticket I got was more than I made in tips. So I actually <sighs> lost money that night, which is like, man, the trauma of trying to financially survive in San Francisco. I should do an epi on that or an epi on the fucking trauma of trying to find a parking spot in San Francisco. Oh, anyway, I digress. I had learned my lesson about trying to drive and was walking home one night when I noticed a man was walking about a half block behind me. And when I turned down a street, he turned down the street. So I crossed the street and he crossed the street. So I crossed back and he crossed back and I just took off running and didn't look behind me and basically threw myself into my apartment. But that wasn't the first time I'd had an experience like that. When I was 21, I was living in Granada, Spain. I was studying abroad. And I'd found this apartment that was about halfway up a neighborhood of Granada called the Alvaicin. The Alvaicin was built by the Moors like a thousand years ago, and it's beautiful and bewildering. It's on a hill that has all of these bright white houses with flowers under the windows on cobblestone streets. You know, they're kind of like a labyrinth, meaning like these streets meander. They have no real direction and they're really narrow and they can just like end up on a dead end, you know, Mm. but- The issue was that because they were so narrow, cars couldn't drive on them. And that meant that cops couldn't drive on them, which meant there was a lot of crime that went on the higher up you got into the neighborhood because cops couldn't get there. And that was why our school program highly recommended that we not move to the Albaicin, but I was like, I don't care. It's beautiful here. I'm from LA. I'll be fine. Which was super naive because I was from Burbank where literally nothing ever happens. You know, it's not like I was in a gang or some shit and knew how to protect myself. Anyway, one night I'd gone out with friends to a bar and at about one or two in the morning, I started walking up the main road in the Albaicin to get back to my house And as I was walking, this guy in a long black trench coat passed me. And I thought to myself, I need to keep up with this guy because if I stay near him, you know, no one will try to fuck with me because this guy will be right there. But he was walking super fast and I just couldn't keep pace. And pretty soon he was out of my view. What I didn't know about this guy was that he'd been stalking me and he knew where I lived He had waited for me to leave the bar, rushed ahead of me, and then waited for me in the alley that was just like 20 feet from my house. And when I passed the alley, he stepped behind me, covered my mouth with his hand and forced me face down onto the road. The full weight of his body was like on top of me to the point where I thought I was going to suffocate because I couldn't breathe. I think he was trying to rape me, but I'll never know for sure because of this wonderful Moroccan man who had just gotten home from the tea shop he owned, heard me scream. I managed to pull the dude's hand down for a quick second to scream. And this man came running outside and the guy took off. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was fucking terrible. And the thing was, I was, you know, for the most part, physically okay. He'd busted my lips open when he threw me on the ground. But other than that, I was Okay. But emotionally, I was not okay at all. And I remember that this happened not long after Scream came out, you know, that movie, which, as I'm sure you'll all recall, because there have been there's I think there's like Scream five now or something. That movie has that terrifying mask in it. And a couple nights later, I dreamed that a man with that mask on had trapped me in a room. And he forced me down onto a bed that was actually a board that was holding about an inch of water. And when he pulled his penis out to rape me, it had a line of electricity running through it. And I realized that he was going to rape me and electrocute me at the same time. Oh, baby. And I'm bringing that up because I think for those of us who've been assaulted, there's a cultural tendency to be like, oh, you're fine. You know, a cut lip, no big deal. Or even in cases of rape, like, oh, you didn't get murdered, you know, like, and I think especially a lot of men don't understand the repercussions of rape. There's this tendency to mitigate, but the impact of assault isn't something that can be seen. It stays with us in so many different ways, in our psyches, in our bodies, in our ability to trust other people, and our ability to trust life. I know that I'll never, ever, as long as I live, forget that dream, nor how unsafe I felt from that point forward, walking around in the world with a woman's body. And by the way, I think this is something queer folks and people of color can also super relate to just walking down the street can mean death or violence just for existing as you are.
1: Yeah.
0: It's the kind of, I'm not safe that follows you, that makes you look around a room and feel scared. If you see someone looking at you, you know, it, it, it can lead to paranoia because it feels like the minute you let your guard down, that's when it'll happen. And I won't get too into this, but that kind of fear is so bad for you physically. It leads to diseases of all kinds, you know, high blood pressure, fibromyalgia, stomach issues, so many things, which I'll just take a brief second to say, When COVID first hit, everyone was like, why is it affecting black Americans so much worse than other racial groups? Well, because black folks have been feeling unsafe since we forced them over here on slave ships up to today where they get murdered in the streets by police. And it's basically legal, you know, except in rare cases. But generally speaking, fear is really fucked up for your immune system. So the conversation of feeling unsafe is suddenly much bigger, right? It's like this medical crisis. And on that note, let's talk about Roe. I am not fully recovered from the news and I'm not. Okay. I'll just start with that. I'm, I'm still really working through this, but in terms of feeling unsafe, I knew that there were a bunch of, you know, dickhead misogynists out there. And I knew that they were up to all kinds of fuckery and I knew that they had power, but up until recently, I thought we had protections in place and that the overall vibe of our country was a progressive one. Of course, I knew that that had never come easy in our country and likely never would. But overall, I thought we stood for progressive values Mm -hmm. and that though headway could be slow and we could obviously get off course, which, which, you know, was what I thought Trump was, was just like, oh shit, we got off course here. I thought that Our North Star as a country really was progressive values. I also didn't think we could go backwards to this degree, you know, like I didn't think it was possible. And I'll say I have a ton of privilege. And I know that if I were ever to find myself in a position where I needed an abortion, I could find a way to get one. But knowing that doesn't make me feel safe. I feel targeted, I feel hated by the people in power. And I feel powerless to help those other people, you know, those people who really need them get abortions. I'm now suddenly realizing that that these people in power are people who would be happy to see me raped and pregnant and forced into birth. And now these people have the power to make that happen for countless others. When I heard the news, I was in shock for the first two hours and I couldn't really tell how I felt. I thought. Well maybe I'm I'm not really feeling this because I'm not going to because I already knew it was going to happen because of the leak. But then after a couple hours I just couldn't stop crying and then about 7 hours later I had to pull over on the side of the freeway because I was having a full on panic attack and I couldn't breathe. This is a new kind of feeling unsafe for me although I know there's nothing new about it for lots and lots of people in this country. This feeling of being hated through law like turning hatred into law and seeing to it that people's lives are ruined and that they be forced to birth so that rich people can get richer. And if you need more info on that, check out my episode on the trauma of the patriarchy. If I didn't feel safe as a woman before, I certainly don't feel safe now. And I'm still, like I said, sorting through this and learning how to take care of myself and others during this trauma. So I just want to name it right now. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. Okay. What has worked? What has helped me get back to a place of emotional safety with all these things? Let me rewind a bit to people pleasing and feeling unsafe in childhood. I can't tell you how many people I just allowed to show up with toxic behaviors in my life for years and years and years. I didn't even know up until recently in my mental health journey that I could be like, you know what? I don't feel safe around you either because you talk down to me or because you yell at me and blame me or because you gaslight me, whatever the reason the way so many of us were raised, we never learned healthy boundaries as children. In fact, we learned not to have boundaries as a means of survival as adults, we feel unsafe and then we totally ignore that feeling. We tell ourselves, oh, this person just had a fucked up childhood, so I can't really hold them responsible. Or, you know, if I were just less sensitive, then this person screaming at me or condescending to me or whatever, it wouldn't affect me so much. I'm the problem. All the things we say, because we don't know how to say, you know what? I'm not available for abuse, period. Once we really decide that, we start to create safety for ourselves. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that every time someone does something that you don't like, you cut them off, you know, or you cut them out of your life. I'm saying if the way people are acting is making you feel unsafe, and if when you bring it up to them in a respectful way, they don't apologize and change their behavior, that's when it's no longer up to them to change so that you can feel safe. It's up to you to change by saying, I will not allow this. The way I think about it now is like, I have a baby girl inside me little four-year-old Remy, so sweet. Like I had big red curls when I was little, like orphan Annie and huge brown eyes. And I was sweet, God damn it. You know, that little girl who's so scared of her dad and so confused and sad and scared with her mom, she's still inside me. She's with me at every job, in every romantic relationship, every friendship, every family gathering. She's always there. But now I'm her mom. And if I allow people to be abusive to me, I'm allowing them to be abusive to her too. I'm inviting situations where she doesn't feel safe. And I, I hope people really think about that because I don't think there's a single one of us out there who would allow their child to be bullied or abused or talked down to or gaslit or ignored or treated like shit in any way. If we knew that was going on, we'd be like, no, 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 no but we allow it to happen to ourselves and to our inner child all the time because we didn't learn about boundaries. So boundaries are so key to making sure we feel safe. And if you need some help with that, I also have a boundaries episode you can check out. I'll just add this in real quick. Part of having boundaries, means being honest. And this is really hard for people who, who were told as children that if they spoke honestly about their feelings, they would be abused even more, right? In order to be honest with other people, you have to get honest with yourself. You have to ask yourself, how do I honestly feel? And get really clear on that. Which sounds like a no shit statement, but again, many of us as kids were not allowed to have our truth. And we may not really know how we feel at first in a situation, or maybe we feel a certain way, but we tell ourselves we shouldn't. Let me just point out that for someone with a fawn response, which is a lot of women,
1: okay, mm-hmm. a lot of women's automatic survival strategy is fawn, meaning please the abuser, appease the abuser in order to reduce the abuse. Right. If we've internalized fawning as our one of our primary mechanisms, we're often completely unaware what we're actually feeling because our instinct is telling us survive at all costs. Mm -hmm. And so we might even be able to feel like we're not affected. I'm fine. It's totally fine. I just want you to be okay, Mm. Right. And we don't even sense our own hurt, our own fear. We're so focused on survival, meaning appeasing the other person that for me, because I have a fawn response, an instinctive fawn response as well. What would happen is I would find out three days later how I actually felt. Totally. Same. Yeah. And then I would have to go back and be like, shit, now um, now they're going to think I'm completely inconsistent. And I lied nice. to them because in my initial response, I was like, oh, it's okay. We're fine. Don't worry about it. I'm Okay. long as you're okay I'm okay and then three days later I'm like you fucking suck
0: (laughs) totally yes I can't relate harder to that and then there's that fear that like oh well it's been three days so now I can't go back
1: now I can't say anything right because they're gonna think I'm completely insane right and they're never gonna trust me again
0: (laughs) and then again it's about them right yes it's a we're still like how are they going to feel if I do this? What are they going to think if I do this instead of us being like, well, yeah, that's how I felt in the moment. Cause I was in shock. This is how I fucking feel now. And that's fine. I get to feel what I feel when I feel it. Right. Like we just, yeah. that has been, um, manipulated or raged out of us by, by our childhoods. Right. Like we never got to really feel how we were feeling. We had to always look to the abuser.
1: It's basically the Stockholm syndrome.
0: Ah, yes, totally. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's a a completely
1: unobvious Stockholm syndrome because it's indoctrinated into you from the beginning of your life that the people who protect you are also the people who abuse you. Right. So then the Fawn response is the only way to survive. Right. It is. It is the only way to survive. Yeah. When your safety is also your abuse. All you can do is try and please the abuser until, until they let you go. Only by that time, you've internalized it all.
0: Exactly. Yes. Like, for example, I have a good friend who also had this type of childhood trauma. And the other day she was kind of spiraling about something. And I looked at her and I said, if you didn't have any fear of hurting or angering anyone, what would you do in this situation? And she was like, oh, I would do X and Y. When I removed the fear, suddenly it was so clear to her what she herself wanted, but that, that fear and that compulsion to prioritize other people over us, even people who abuse us, it prevents us from speaking our truth and it prevents us from setting healthy boundaries. Yes. So remember that when you start to spiral, if I didn't have any fear of hurting or upsetting or angering anyone, what would I do? then you can start working with your truth and setting the boundaries that you need to. And I'm going to go back to that instance with my project partner, as an example, just you and I were working together when that happened. And I remember I told you in, in the fucking moment when, as it was happening, I was like, well, I think I just need to learn to have a thicker skin. Like I need to learn to not be so sensitive that when things like this come up, I, I don't get so rattled. I'll pause here to say I was an absolute wreck when this thing was happening. I couldn't make my heart rate slow down. I couldn't stop crying. I was so triggered that the next day I couldn't stand up in the shower because my body was so exhausted from the experience. Anyway, Jess, when it happened, I told you I was the problem. And you were like, if you could wave a wand and work with anyone you wanted, would you choose to work with him? And I was like, oh, well, no. (laughs) And you were like, yeah, because you don't do these kinds of things. You don't, you don't scream at your partner. You know, you look for solutions. You're great to work with. Wouldn't you rather work with someone like you? And I was like, oh yeah, I, I would. Yeah. If I, if I could wave a magic wand and work with anyone I would work with Not him. (laughs) I would work with someone like me. And you were like, yeah, you don't like to be yelled at, which is totally normal and natural. It's a it's a totally natural need to have in a relationship, the need not to be yelled at. It doesn't, there's nothing wrong with you because you want that. Everyone wants that. And and guess what? And this was the other thing you said, you were like, you do have the power to choose that. You do have the power to choose to not work with someone who screams at you. And blames you when it, when actually, you know, he needs to take responsibility. And it was such a beautiful lesson for me, even though it was so scary and so painful because I decided because of the conversation you and I had to choose myself, I decided that yes, this person, this guy, he had a shitty childhood and yes, he was working through his trauma and yes, what happened in that instance didn't mean he was a bad person. And I didn't want to work with him anymore, period. That was my truth. I did not feel safe with that person. That experience was abusive and I'm not available for abuse, even from people who I have a lot of compassion for. And so I left that project. I chose myself and my inner child and my need to feel safe. Yes. I'll also say that something that really helped me when I was going through that was doing something physical my like literally in that moment, my blood pressure was through the roof when I was getting these texts from him. Like I said, I I was sobbing. I couldn't stop crying. And I felt that familiar feeling that I'd had with my dad when I was little, like maybe I would faint. Yeah, And I remember my therapist at the time told me to shake my hands out while walking fast. So I did that. I went outside I was walking in circles actually, (laughs) because I have like, I live in kind of a a little cul-de-sac. And so I was just walking around and around in a circle and shaking my hands out and it helped regulate my body and get back down to feeling calm and grounded or anyway, as as close to calm and grounded as I could. So I want to share that technique with y'all in case you find yourself in a similar situation. Another beautiful technique for working with childhood trauma around feeling unsafe. And actually Jess, you introduced me to this is imagining the moment when you were born Mm -hmm. standing in the room as an adult, watching infant you emerge from your mother and adult you catches infant you and holds that baby in your arms and really looks at that child with so much love and tenderness This is a reparenting technique, and I talk about that a lot on here, but it's not one I've talked specifically about before. Essentially, what happens is you start to teach your inner child that real love is safe and open and tender. It's not scary or mean or manipulative. As that child part of you begins to really feel loved unconditionally, that's what you become more and more attuned to in your adult life. That's what you start to seek out. Because you come to know what safety feels like. You start to bring more safe people and jobs and situations into your life, in part because you're like, if it doesn't feel like this, I don't want it. In terms of not feeling safe in our bodies, how do we heal that? How do we heal from assault or from being stalked or followed or something like that? That sense that predators are after you. I actually think there are a few ways you can work with this. Uh, And and there are, I'm sure, a ton more that even I would love to learn more about. But here are a couple that have worked for me. One is cuddle therapy. I can't recommend cuddle therapy enough. If you feel unsafe in your body, there is real healing that happens in the body. Mm -hmm. Cuddle therapy reprograms your brain to let you know that touch can be safe and recalibrate the cells in your body to know what the feeling of I am safe physically feels like you you can also grieve with a safe person who'll hold you while you release those painful emotions and that is huge i'll also mention emdr here which i talk about all the time so i won't get too detailed but if you're not familiar talk with your therapist about it emdr was created for veterans with ptsd and it helps you release traumatized thoughts like the world is not safe mine was men don't love women um or you know something like I will never be safe. I'm not safe in my body. Any of those sort of like really traumatized beliefs, you can replace those with healthy thoughts through EMDR. And, and I, I changed my belief of men don't love women, which I was very convinced of uh, to some men do love women and I can find one of them to partner with. Yes. Yeah. And I really do believe that now I feel like I feel it in my body. Whereas before I, I, the idea that like men were not just fucking wolves in sheep's clothing was really hard for me. Another great one is breathing. And I kind of rolled my eyes when people talked about breathing techniques for a while, because I just thought they were too easy and kind of just bullshit. I was like, I am already breathing. Breathing is not the answer. But actually, I have found that it is a super simple way of regulating and grounding my body so that I don't dissociate or spin out with fear. There are all kinds of breathing techniques out there, you know, like counting to 10 with each breath, three counts in with the breath, five counts out on the exhale and on and on. I say just find whatever works for you, whatever genuinely grounds you and gets you out of those loops in your head, even if it's just, you know, taking deep breaths without counting. And the last one I'll mention is being aware of self-talk. A lot of times the reason why we don't feel safe as adults is because we're talking to ourselves the same way our parents or abusers talk to us. So like with this row thing, when it first happened, I couldn't get out of bed. My entire body felt so heavy. I couldn't move literally, which is not uncommon for me when I'm having a depressive episode. But Turned out on that day, I had a lot of work to do, right? And yet I couldn't move. At an earlier time in my life, I would have been like, you need to get a grip. The world doesn't stop just because you're sad. You can cry later. You know, all of that fucked up dialogue stuff that's constantly telling you, you don't deserve to be taken care of, right? Talking to ourselves and treating ourselves like our abusers continues to make us feel unsafe, Like we were once unsafe with those people, but now we're not safe with ourselves. How often do we criticize our own bodies or tell ourselves our ideas are stupid or say stuff like you'll always be alone. No one will ever love you. You know, that's been mine a lot, you know, or whatever the fuck it is a lot, right? We do that a lot or or anyway, I have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I used to too. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. 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 And how are we supposed to feel safe if we're talking shit to ourselves all day, right? So that's another big one for me, catching myself when I start to repeat the things my parents used to say or do to me and intercepting that. And I'll say with Ro, when I've been so incredibly tender and just emotionally fucked up, being kind to myself and giving myself rest and a hike in nature and alone time to process, uh, you know, <clears throat> two good hours to just watch the office and try to laugh. Yesterday, my friend and I, we tried, we tried, we were like, we're going to like, say what we're grateful for. And you know, that's going to help us. Well, I wasn't ready for that. And I started sobbing in the middle of it and was like, I'm just going to go home. You know? Cause I was like, I, my thought was I'm being, I'm like fucking her time up because she's trying to be positive and I'm a mess. And luckily she was like, Hey, we don't have to say what we're grateful for. And I was like, I think I need to scream really is what I need. And she was like, great. And so we, We were like, great, we're going to drive out into the middle of nowhere and scream. And that's what we did. Telling yourself that you don't have a right to your feelings, that you you suck, whatever it is, being able to intercept that, because I still do it sometimes, right? Like yesterday, I was like, I'm a burden right now. Intercepting that and being like, actually, here's what I need. And really leaning into that. That's been key to nurturing myself in general, but also through this row stuff. Yeah. Jess, how are you doing over there?
1: I'm doing good. I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you. Um, you know, I know you so well already, so it's, it's really fun to see you do your podcast and hearing all your thoughts and you're very easy to listen to. Oh,
0: Jess, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I, I'm just so uh, grateful to you for coming on to talk about this because it's such a massive topic and It's, and, and, and shifting into feeling safe is so crucial in our healing. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear your take on it. And let me start with this question. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk about the importance of feeling safe from a mental health or even spiritual perspective? Like why, why is it so important?
1: So the reason safety is so important is because literally our brains have evolved to seek safety. And the way our brain evolved to seek safety is by saying that we need to belong to a tribe. We need approval. We need to be wanted. We need to matter to other people. We're not safe unless we matter to other people. We're not safe unless we're loved by other people. So our brain, you know, we evolved from reptiles to mammals to humans. Mammals, uh, I mean, reptiles don't give a fuck whether or not they're approved of by anybody because they don't tie their sense of safety to a group. Now mammals do. And you can see that when you look at a snake or a gecko, they literally could not care less who cares about them or what, they, what anybody thinks about them. You can yell at them and they're like...
0: <laughs> what? They're like, fuck off. I will bite you. But go and
1: look at a herd of wild horses or a pack of wolves And you will see all these complex social interactions or chimps, you know, Um, and it's all about belonging, approval, rejection. You know, it's always desperately trying to stay with people, getting the alpha to approve of you, even to the point, you know, you were talking about the fawn response. So our general responses to any kind of threat to survival is fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. And the fawn response is the most complex. So think of a wolf, an alpha, who's pissed off at another male. But the male is too weak. He's never going to challenge the alpha. Um, What's he going to do? He's going to lay down on his back. He is going to be super submissive, even as the alpha is growling, even as the alpha is grabbing his throat. This submissive beta male will lick, will lick the nose and the mouth of the alpha that's abusing them right that moment. Wow. Because mammals had to evolve this group dynamic in order to survive. Their brains decided, okay, our main means of physical survival is the group. So we're going to focus most of our brain energy and most of our beliefs and thoughts on making sure we belong to the group. The system that nature evolved is called the attachment system. And it works through oxytocin for women and vasopressin for men. It's the same kind of hormone. It's just different in males and females. And it's the hormone that binds us to people that feels like belonging, feels like love. So mammals have that same system in place already. Whether you're looking at horses or any other pack animal, you can always see it, right? There's always this fond response. If I'm about to get kicked out, I will grovel, I will do whatever I have to, to make you believe that I love you, so that you don't kick me out. Mm. And that's because on the one hand, you have this survival instinct, but the survival instinct is always going for a sense of safety, right? The survival instinct can calm down once it feels safe. So the sense of safety is approval, mattering, uh, being loved belonging. When we feel all those things, we feel safe. Here's the thing, though. That feeling of mattering and approval makes us feel physically safe, even if we're not. Our whole brain has evolved to conflate physical and emotional safety, Mm. meaning that we will believe we're physically safe, if we feel emotionally safe, if we feel like we belong and we're approved of and we're loved. Mm. The thing is, mattering to other people, belonging to the group and being physically safe are actually two separate things, especially in the modern world. Fuck. They don't go together. Our brain is so convinced they do, though. But the thing is, Remy, you matter regardless of whether or not you're physically safe. Right. Right. You always matter. If somebody's abusing you, you still matter. Right. In that, in, that, in that Spanish situation where you were in Spain, I forget the name you used for the, the area. The Albayzin, yeah. You still matter, no matter what that asshole did to you. But your brain goes, I, I didn't matter, so I'm not safe. Oh. No, you've always mattered. Whether you're physically safe is irrelevant because the truth is we can't ever be a hundred percent sure that we're
0: physically safe. That Wow. I've never really put that together. You're right. Part of my, um, in this trajectory of coming to a place where I believe that men don't love women. What was underneath that is women don't really matter to men. Yes. And I had had so many experiences, this being one of them that showed that to me. Right. And so, Yes, this feeling of, I don't matter to men, therefore I am not safe. I had never really put together how I conflated those.
1: We all do, because our brain has evolved that way. But the truth is, can you see that you mattering is completely separate from you being safe? Right. You can be unsafe in a physical sense and still matter.
0: Of course. They don't go together. Of course, but of course, a lot of us, for a lot of us, especially I think in this post-row America, that feeling of I don't matter because I'm not safe. I mean, so many of us, I think, are, are feeling that right yeah. now. But you know what? We all matter. It doesn't matter what they do at the Supreme Court. It
1: right. doesn't matter how unsafe we are. We are completely unsafe right now. I'm not going to argue that. And we still fucking matter. What they do doesn't change how much we matter. And our brain, And here's the tricky part. It's the funny part. If our brain feels like we matter, then it feels safe. So if you can get yourself to feel like you matter, then your brain is going to start to feel safe no matter what's happening.
0: Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. Because, well, here's the thing, (laughs) right? Like, for example, in my childhood, I would feel like I mattered if I fawned, Because then I would not from my dad at all, but with my mom, if I fund, then I would get love and approval. And then I felt like I mattered. But the truth was, I wasn't safe, even though I was getting approval.
1: Right. And so because you still always felt that constant sense of unease, you never internalized like you mattered. It wasn't a real sense of safety that you felt. It was a a feeling of, I call it like appeasement. I'm safe for now. Right now, this moment, i fed the beast. Right. Yep. It, it doesn't feel truly safe. It just feels like I'm not going to get hurt right this minute. You're always in a constant state of fear and vigilance, always on guard, always trying to make sure that you're appeasing and pleasing your abuser. You become an empath almost against your will because you have to be empathetic. You have to understand what your abuser is feeling and thinking, how you can best prevent them from hurting you. Right so you learn to live in other people's heads you learn to always worry and think about other people's perspectives more so than your own fuck setting boundaries you're just about survival right and so what your brain does because remember it's going for survival all it cares about is belonging right belonging means survival so it's it's never experienced a true sense of safety then your brain is going to go okay well what is familiar is at least something I can cope with. So I'm going to look at that as the thing to go for.
0: Mm, That's how we pull in more people with toxic toxic behaviors. Yeah. Familiar is the next, next best thing to safety for the brain.
1: And that's not because it's trying to be a butthead. It's because it doesn't know any better Right? because you're born with the brain that you're born with. This brain is like a operating system, like a windows 10 or 11 it doesn't have anything in there yet. It's just like, okay, we're, we're just going to go, okay? Turn on and let's go. But it only has your mom and your dad and your exact experiences to load up. There's nothing else to go on. It doesn't know that it could be different. It doesn't understand that there is safety out there. It doesn't get it. So it's going to go with whatever it's presented with. And that, in your case, was a lot of fucking abuse. But that abuse was familiar. So, never having had a sense of safety, you didn't even know you felt unsafe. Right. Yeah. Because you just felt this is my pattern. This is familiar. I got to please and appease the abusers in the world so that I can survive. And the truth is, our brain is always seeking safety. And when you feel like you matter to other people, you feel safe because it's like, I belong. You know, they care about me. Right. So your defense system is to always go looking for people to approve of you while you're at the same time attracting toxicity into your life because that's what's familiar. And then you end up in an endless fucking cycle. Uh, Desperately seeking safety while attracting unsafety. Right.
0: Right. And it's not until we make new choices that we can start shifting that.
1: And all we need to do is to feel like we matter.
0: Right. To know, it.
1: to know it. To know it. To to know it up here, but to also feel it. Feel and when it. you said, when you um, made that, you know, you've made so many decisions in our work together where you started to show your little girl that you matter, that she matters. That's exactly what you need to do. You need to do things that show the part inside of you that feels like she doesn't matter, that you're going to stand up for her. Right. You are going to step in front of
0: her. Right. Well, that's been you know, such a huge part of my recovery. And I think, um, I think in general, and what's interesting about it is, for example, you and I were working together when I was um, working on that project Mm -hmm. and I had a project partner and um, the, the one thing that I felt like I absolutely could not do was stand up to him because it was too scary. And what it felt like was to keep myself safe. This is, and I think this is just kind of to encapsulate what we're talking about, to keep myself safe. I will not stand up to this person who is uh, screaming at me. I'm not going to do that because that's not safe. What I'm going to do is say, okay, 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 okay. And, uh, And then he and I, when he calms down, which he did, we worked it out. And for a second we were like, okay, we're going to keep doing this project. Right. Cause I was trying to keep myself safe in quotes, but it's the, the exact thing that I interpreted as unsafe. Yes. That was the, the only thing that actually would make me safe was me saying, I can't work with you anymore because of this situation, because of your response. I can't work with you anymore. And, and I, and I just want to kind of like, yeah, wrap that part up by saying like, sometimes because of the abuse we've been through, it's the thing that we think it's unsafe. is unsafe, unsafe that is actually the, the path to our safety. And, it, yes. and I just remember I was terrified. I was fucking beside myself. And when it was done, I felt so good because I had done a thing that I I could never do. I was like, there's no way I could ever do something like that. But, but I, I did, I was able to. So yeah, this whole thing about like what we think is safe and what is actually safe and, and starting to um, shift our perspective around that is so important. And I'm so glad you brought that in. We kind of talked about my second question already, but um, I'll skip to the third one. I mentioned, I didn't realize until I was 26 and had had this interaction with the tummy massage lady, how fundamentally important it is to feel safe and how not accustomed to feeling safe so many of us are. Yeah. In the work that you do with your clients, how often does not feeling safe come up and what are the different ways it can look? Like, I know we've talked a lot about fawning, but what are some other responses? Like maybe even trying to have control, for example.
1: That's a good, that's a good point so most of the time though, the clients that come to me that I attract are um, very very compassionate highly empathetic beings that tend towards a fawning response a pleasing response however fight flight freeze and fawn are all responses to feeling unsafe you definitely have people who get angry um like your mom the rage Um, I, I had both, I had the fawning response and the fight response. When the fawning response didn't work, I would eventually flip into anger, which is, you know, just another really like unhealthy toxic way to cope because obviously in my anger, I would hurt other people. And I would end up like your mom a lot and just apologize. Now There's this almost intangible difference sometimes that I'm not exactly sure how it comes to be. You have the narcissists, the people who don't care that they're hurting other people, who don't try to figure it out, who don't try and work on themselves. And you have the people who do. My rage was definitely very harmful to the people around me. And yet at the same time, I'm always going like, okay, how do I fix this anger? How do I make it better? without feeling like other people have to figure out how to do this for me. Mm-hmm. And that's the big difference, right? People who tend to blame others for their anger are never going to figure that one out. And I didn't. I, I always knew it was my anger. It was my responsibility. I just couldn't figure out how to deal with it. And I never wanted to hurt anyone. So I had the fond response. I had the anger response. There are people who have the flight response. These are the people who just curl up and withdraw and just hide away and become invisible. They did Mm. that as children and they're doing that as adults. Mm. They're afraid. Obviously, they're afraid. And then you have the people who are, you know, and I think flight and freeze is probably very similar. And that's just people just like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Um, But a, a version of the fight response is narcissism. And that is, like you said, Remy, pure and utter control. Mm. You feel unsafe. You've always felt unsafe. But for some reason, these brains decide that the only way to feel safe or next next to safety, the, best, the next best thing to safety for them is to feel in utter control of everyone around them and their environment. And so they learn to manipulate. They learn to try and get everything, everyone around them to cater to their need for attention Mm. because it's the next best thing to belonging. Right. Of course. Yeah. And they don't care whether the attention is good or bad. Mm. They've never felt safe. They've never felt like they belong. And so they take the next best thing, the familiar and attention. So narcissists, There's all sorts of narcissists. There's the angry ones that are really grand And there's the victim ones that are so much more subtle and really so much more damaging because they do have a capacity for love in some way, but that love is really always about them. It's never about you. They're not loving you for you. They're loving you for them, for how it makes them feel to love you. Right, right. And if you don't respond you know, how they want to their love, then that love goes away. And it's just so conditional because everything about them is about them. And it's almost like they can't grasp the concept that other people's emotions are valid too. It just can't seem to get there. So narcissism to me is a huge survival instinct that's really toxic to everyone around them, to themselves. They're usually miserable and it's all about control. Because their little girl inside and their little boy inside is completely alone. They've just completely abandoned them. Mm. You know, where you're trying to reparent little Remy, and you have been doing that, and you've done an amazing job, little Remy is starting to feel safe and loved and protected. Like she matters, because she knows she matters to you. A narcissist, that little girl and that little boy is locked up in a closet somewhere, never going to see the light of day. Mm. So that's why they're so empty, right? That's why they have no sense of empathy. They don't really truly even empathize with their own injured inner child. Right.
0: They're ignoring
1: that pain. So narcissism is a way of trying to feel safe, although they never do control. That's what narcissism is really. And then there's, there's us, there's the, the people that farm. And in my case, I I reached my limit. I started to get angry. You know, some people just get angry. I have clients who just get angry. Anger has this really bad rep. And in the case of your mom, it is bad because it's coupled with a narcissistic tendency. But you also have people who just get angry because that's all they've got left. All they've got left is this last ditch effort to protect themselves. None of it makes us feel safe. Right. The only thing that makes us feel safe is if we start to matter to ourselves.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I love that you bring that in because that, is a perfect segue to my last question, which is what are some of the, the key things and the go-tos that you suggest for shifting out of I'm not safe into I'm safe and really getting into the process of healing that wound?
1: Well, one of the big things you already mentioned is really imagining yourself being born and starting a relationship with the innocent part of you, the one that you can relate to as being innocent and feeling that need to protect that, that child. As you feel like you want to protect this child, my recommendation is to try not just imagine yourself trying to protect the child, but also trying to imagine yourself as the child.
0: As the child, right.
1: Slip into that consciousness for a moment and feel yourself being protected by you. Mm. Feel yourself
0: feeling safe. As a child.
1: As the child, as the infant being held. So the meditation I do, you know, with you, with I've done with so many people, Yes, we go into the room you were born in and you catch yourself, you look at yourself, you love yourself, but then you flip it and you feel yourself being the child, being loved by you, not somebody else because the tricky part here is we don't want to perpetuate this idea that we need to matter to other people in order to feel safe. We do that, we're always at the mercy of others.
0: Right.
1: I've always rejected that. I was like, there has to be a way to feel good and safe inside of me without needing other people to do that for me, because then if they're in a bad mood or right. they leave me or they die, then what the fuck am I going to do? Right, yeah. So I always try to figure out how can I make me feel safe? So I just always, always, always say, don't imagine your mom, don't imagine your dad, don't imagine your grandma. It's yourself. It needs to be you. And it needs to be you as a child feeling safe because the adult you is holding you. Mm. And as you create that emotion, your brain is creating new synapses and new connections that are starting to be like that spark for safety. A safety you've never felt before, but now you are creating it inside your own head. And the brain always seeks safety, right? Remember, the brain has evolved to always look for safety. Survival is always meant to get you to feeling safe. Feeling safe means feeling like I belong, okay? So once you create some memories or some experiences inside your own head of feeling like you belong to yourself feeling like you're protected by yourself. Now your brain is experiencing safety for this first time. And it's going to want to go there because that's what it's always been seeking is to feel safe. So the more you create emotions, experiences, memories of feeling loved and protected by you, the more easily your brain will go there because it doesn't want the other memories. It doesn't want to feel unsafe. Your, Your brain's already biased towards safety. Mm. So that's what I did for me. That's what I try to do with my clients is literally create memories
0: from scratch inside our own heads and make us feel safe. You have totally done that with me. (laughs) You have been with me as I've taken my uh, inner child to Disneyland. Mm -hmm. You've been with me when I've taken my inner child to a new house, a beautiful house with a pool and we went swimming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have led me through some really incredible meditations that have been so healing in terms of, I love the way you say it, creating memories from scratch, starting from nothing, (laughs) you know, and and rebuilding what it feels like to be with myself. And that has been, yeah, it's been amazing and it's really helped me. So I'm really grateful to you. And I'm really grateful to you for coming on today. I adore you and I just get so much, out of what you have to share is always so eye opening. And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you out there in the world? Um, they can find me on soulhealingwithjust.com. soulhealingwithjess.com. Yeah. Awesome. And if y'all want to find me, uh, you can email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. I am on Insta at Remy's R E M E E Z. Uh, yeah, hit me up. Let me know if there's a topic you want to hear about or if you just want to say hi. I love hearing from people. Also, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. I, I read, I finally looked to see if anyone had done it and someone wrote the sweetest review on Apple pods the other day and it fucking made my entire week especially i just read it the other day it's been in the midst of all this row insanity and it just made me feel so good so thank you to whoever did that and um yeah and if you feel like this pod has helped and you have some time it would mean a lot to me if you could leave um a note for me too and in the meantime baby enjoy the party bye
1: we